0: Hey listener, thanks for joining us today. You're listening to Pixels and Panels, a show where we take behind the scenes of the comic industry through conversations with your favorite creators and industry leaders. Our guest today is Dirk Vanover, a lawyer with extensive experience in the entertainment sector and helping protect comic creators. He also authors a helpful blog called ComicsLawyer.com and has written a book called Comic Startup 101 that's free to read via Amazon Kindle. With Dirk, we demystify what a comic lawyer actually does, talk through why it's important to consult a lawyer as a comic creator, and talk through where you can get legal help, even for free. Hope you enjoyed the listen. Hey Dirk, welcome to our show. Thanks for having me. And as you may have heard in the intro, Dirk, you're a bit different from a typical guest that we have. Do you mind uh, explaining to our listeners uh, what you do?
1: Uh, I'm an attorney based in the Milwaukee area. I do entertainment, intellectual property, and business law. And uh, my my main, I guess, claim to fame in the entertainment space is just working with uh, comic book artists, writers, and occasionally publishers. So I have a, a bit of a niche knowledge in that area that uh, not... You know there aren't too many of us that kind of you know specialize in that kind of area. So, one of probably five to ten that I can think of off the top of my head in the, in the country.
0: So, what got you interested as a lawyer uh, to focus in on entertainment IP and uh, comic book artists in particular?
1: Yeah, you know, I, I knew when I went to law school I wanted to do something entertainment related. Uh, went to law school after dabbling in journalism and public relations for a bit after graduation and going to college. And went to law school, kind of knowing I want to do entertainment related, something but didn't really know exactly where that was going to be, entertainment, intellectual property. Uh, Graduated from law school in 2008, which was not a great time to graduate from law school. And eventually uh, found a job working for an online retailer of uh, party supplies and Halloween costumes. So did that and it was kind of fascinating, really learned a lot about contracts and things like that. And then eventually uh you know set up my own shop a solo practice and i was trying to figure out where i wanted to you know utilize these skills i knew i wanted to do entertainment related stuff uh i kind of already knew a decent amount of artists and writers uh over the years because i've been a been reading comics actively since the early 90s uh and reading comics collecting art um going to conventions pretty regularly. So I already knew quite a bit. Whenever I, you know, the decided to go solo, it just made a natural fit to kind of go with that with people that already knew me and, you know, knew I was an attorney, knew somebody, knew, already knew the industry, that I could help them with their issue or their problems they might be having. So kind of just segue pretty easily into it.
0: What drew you to comics and entertainment? Because obviously, there's a bunch of different ways you could apply uh, your law degree. And it seems like, you took an interest and went to conventions and really kind of was part of the comic culture, but what, what drew you to that uh, area?
1: I mean, I think it was just already having the interest in the industry. Um, like I said, like I, I was big into comics, you know, I, I came of reading age in comics when uh, I really got into it about the time, the image revolution image was really starting to take off and that kind of always stuck with me the creator owned stuff. So getting into that um you know trying to figure out what i'd like to do like i really felt like i wanted to work with uh you know independent creators really looking to protect their you know create their own books not necessarily you know they might want to work for marvel and dc but they still want to have the benefit from the fruits of their own labors and really want to create their own stuff and that made the most sense to me to kind of you know apply my skills in that way
0: and in terms of what you do for comic artists how would you describe the services that you provide
1: You know, it's a lot of contract negotiation for the most part. Um, You know, it's, you know, helping them with uh, agreements with their co-creators, if if there are any. Uh, It's helping them if they're hiring an agent, you know, looking over the agent agreement. Um, If they're looking to have their book published, you know, reviewing the contract with the publisher. Uh, that's primarily where it is, you know, a side note with that is if it's, you know, independent uh, creator on that, do some trademark work for them as well, if they're interested in trademark stuff, um, kind of in a way to protect their, their, uh, their work. So that's probably, it's primarily contractual based, uh, you know, dealing with contracts and helping them, uh, review, negotiate and, and that sort of thing.
0: That's really interesting. And. I think one of the things that pops to my head is just what the state of the industry might be like through your lens, because you're seeing the fine print, the details of how different companies or publishers are looking at an individual comic artist. So if you were to kind of look at, you know, the way companies and publishers are approaching comics and comic IP today, what are sort of some themes or trends that you've seen develop over time?
1: Well, I mean, the the biggest thing that I see is just more and more publishers wanting to be involved in the media space or media adaptations. You know, it's always been there, but I feel like it's getting very aggressive Uh, because, you know, I I prefer it whenever, uh, you know, my creators go to a publisher. Like, I, I want them, I want the publisher to only publish the book. Uh, would be my ideal thing. They have no other rights other than the right to publish the book. Uh, Now, some of them, you know, they want to be a middleman um, where they want to have the right to shop your media rights. And then they're going to take, you know, 20% to 50% of whatever they might get for them. Um, You know, on top of that, they're also going to be negotiating a side deal that you're not going to get a cut of uh, or they're going to try to. Some of them are... uh, it's really that aggressive play into media stuff and media rights that, that I've noticed over the last, it's been ramping up for a while, but over the last, you know, five to seven years, I, I feel like it's even gotten more aggressive where they're trying to get, you know, more rights and cut you out of like any, say you might have any deals and stuff like that. And, uh, you know, just trying to attach themselves in some way so that if the, if the project does somehow get adapted into movie or film or TV, that they're going to get a cut.
0: So it seems like in the past, you know, the old kind of mentality was like, if this thing gets published, we want part of the upside as a company. But it seems like based on what you're saying, you know, the companies sort of want to get into the agency game of shopping these rights around and participating in all sorts of upside, even if the creator isn't able to partake in that. Is that is that a fair? Yeah, some
1: of them more of like an agent. Some of them want to be kind of like producers or style themselves as producers, that sort of thing. Yeah.
0: And. In the other thing that you mentioned was creators who might want to be independent, self-publish, own their IP forever. Is mm-hmm. that something that you've seen increase as well? Or has this increase in interest in comic IP led to more people being willing and open-minded to sell their IP and partner with a, big, a bigger publisher?
1: Um, I don't know. It, it's, I, I feel like there are more people now than ever. At least launching their own self-published works. Um, You know that's one of the that's one of the great things about the rise of Kickstarter and crowdfunding uh, is people can take their idea out there. They can raise the money to help actually. You know, get the money to pay for an artist, writer, whatever it might be, and actually have the money to you know print up a do a print run of some books. Uh, So, to some extent, you're seeing a lot more of that uh, than you would in the past, but there's still that uh, mentality that you're not really in the industry until you've been published by a publisher. So it's always that that's going to butt heads with uh, that because most of those publishers are going to take away your rights to some extent. Um, and you have to, you know, be aware of what you're giving up and whether or not that's worth it to you um, is the, you know, is the publisher giving you money to, to republish that book or publish that book? Uh, If they're not, then how much more reach are they going to get? How many more sales of copies are they going to get that you might actually get money from? Um, Because you're splitting that with them and uh, you know, the royalties are, you know, there's not a lot of royalties on a lot of those comics. So unless it sells really, really well, you might not get anything. Um, So it's really, you know, you got to weigh the risks, got to weigh the benefits, the rewards. Um, It's it's not actually always an easy way to make that call. (laughs) Unfortunately, other than you know, say you know, so like, okay, well, I, it, it, I might, this deal might not end up working out for me, but so be it. I'll, I'll just take the, you know, I'll, I'll just accept the consequences of that one. Um, but, you know, flippantly, you know, if you're going to be involved with the publisher, you're probably going to get screwed over in some way. Uh, you don't know when it's going to happen, but it probably will.
0: <laughs> I, I think one thing that springs to mind when you mentioned that is, at least from what I've read, publishers and large companies always have a lot of leverage. And like you said, there's this mentality that if I haven't been published, you know, have I made it as an artist? How do you think their leverage has evolved over time? And I ask that because it seems like they're being more and more aggressive, which leads me to think that they know that there's value in owning IP over long periods of time and they want to do more and more of this. I'm curious to get your perspective of how you've seen this evolve over the past couple of decades.
1: No, I haven't been actively involved in over the last couple of decades, probably been over the last seven years for me, but you know, it's, it's, I don't know. It, unfortunately, the publisher still have a lot of, a lot of uh, leverage just because the only leverage a creator has is to say no. Um, You know, it, it's, it, it's, it's good leverage uh, because, you know, you're, you're saying that, you know, I don't think what you're worth, you know, you're offering is worth me giving up my rights to this thing. Um, But, You know, it's, if you say no, then your book might not be, is you know, it might not be published by a publisher, you might not get another offer. um. So you may have to only stick with self-publishing. So it's a, you know, it's difficult to say no for people, even if they're looking at a deal, which, you know, might not be that great.
0: What are your thoughts on the rise of these movie studios, streaming platforms? They've obviously created a bigger market. Do you think it's not good for the creator? Is it just different? How do you think about these new players coming in
1: you know it's it's probably more good than bad because when there's more outlets for content um you know it's more likely that a published you know that a a creator might see something they might not have otherwise seen you know if it was back in the day when there's three tv stations and that's it you know you're you're not going to get a deal um now that there are so many different (coughs) channels and outlets and you know they'll be more competitive it, it, it can benefit those creators who get those types of deals um but because there are so many like some of the you know the, the prices have kind of fallen a little for some of them and the the fact that a lot of them tend to be you know one season two seasons or, or shorter you know very short means that they don't have that long run that you know really can help a creator you know make money um you know you're not going to get you know, you don't see too many, uh, you know, like Walking Dead, which has been on for 11 years, 10 years, 10 seasons. I don't know. It's like, that's a long time. It's even it's a long time for any show, let alone a show based on a comic book series. So when you see something like that, I mean, like, you know, that's, that's a nice payday for the creators when something runs that long. Whereas, you know, what was the one that Netflix recently did? Uh, Deadly Class, you know, one season, one and done. Or was that sci men sci-fi? uh sorry but you know one season that that's it's great you know it's great that it got there it's still gonna be some nice money in the pockets of the creators hopefully but when you only have one season that's just like oh it's, it's done our shot's over you know it's, it's not gonna come back and you know the fact that a lot of these don't have long runs is, is the downside to it but you know overall i'd say it's still probably net benefit it's a long way of saying that overall probably net benefit but uh a good thing but it's still, you know, when when you see some of the deals that people used to get it's kind of like, "ooh, that hurts."
0: <laughs> Another thing that has come about, you know, over the past few decades is obviously the rise of social media and this idea that now anybody can kind of publish things and mm-hmm. um, you know, whether it's TV shows or comics, you see people taking content, ripping it, like posting it, making memes out of it. So let's talk a little bit about copyright infringement. Do you think that happens more these days?
1: Oh, yeah. <laughs> There's a lot of copyright infringement going on out there. Um, and I mean, copyright infringement is tough because, you know, it, it's been a problem as, as long as, you know, the, the Internet's been around for the last like 20 years. But, you know, it, it depends on how you define infringement. Like there, there's the one, you know, issue, which is, you know, somebody taking a book, uploading scans of it online and giving away for free. I and mean, that's blatant copyright infringement. You know, when you're dealing with memes, it gets a little bit trickier because it could potentially fall under what's known as fair use, depending on, you know, how it's being used, what it's saying and that sort of thing. Um, And they also have like sometimes I shouldn't say don't always because they can have negative impact, but like they don't really harm the original work that often. But, you know, there are still issues with it. You know, like I, I know that the one that was going around a while ago, which I still need to watch this documentary because I just found it fascinating, was that uh, uh, Pepe the Frog one with Matt Fury, how his like, little frog guy got co-opted by um, the right-wing media, a bit, and he tried to take action against it and has, was actually successful in, you know, uh, suing one of those those people whose name escapes me at the moment. Apologies. But generally speaking, if you didn't create it, you just can't take it and use it for whatever you want. That's um, people, something people need to remember. But enforcing it online is also a huge problem that even if you might be a copyright infringement, you might be in the right, it's still really hard to enforce it.
0: Do you see something like that changing anytime soon? Or do you think it's just difficult because once it's out there, it's out there. And as, as you may know, it's really difficult to get one of these platforms to take notice and say, hey, like take this down. Or I mean... There are even examples of artists, you know, claiming that it's fair use. And like you said, it, it makes it really hard to, to take things down. So do you think this, this is kind of the status quo for a while here?
1: Yeah, probably. I mean, I, I would just say that you need to focus on what's, you know, things that are really problematic for you or things that you can actually control. I mean, there are mechanisms to get a lot of stuff taken down. Um, you know, like if, if someone is taking artwork you created, putting it on a t-shirt and selling it on etsy it's easy enough to get that taken down but it's also easy enough for that person to create a new account and put it back up so it becomes whack-a-mole but there are ways where you can kind of easily get some of that stuff down um if it's actually you know harmful to you you don't want it involved you know going on when it's a, a what i'm gonna call more obvious copyright infringement you know it's difficult to get some of the scans down or stuff of that nature if they're not uh, being hosted in the U.S. because you know it's kind of a U.S.-based law that you know you can rely on. us, uh, the Digital Millennium Copyright Act, which allows you to send notices to a website and tell them this is infringing my content, take it down, and they usually will do so uh, quickly if you're you know document it and send it properly. Send it and you know make sure it's documented; it'll usually get taken down pretty quick. But yeah, it's 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 going to be a problem. It's it's always going to be out there if you're, if you have any success, you're going to have to know that it's going to be a problem. You just have to figure out the best way to deal with it and not let it drive you nuts.
0: How do you think the demand and the like just world of comic IP changes? Do you see like people getting more and more interested in comic IP? Do you see it hitting a peak and then fizzling out? Or, you know, how do you, how do you think about the role of comics and comic IP in the, in the future?
1: I hope it just keeps getting more and more interesting, but, uh, and people always are, going to be interested in it but you know it's hard to predict if you put me on the spot I would say at some point you're probably going to have like it's going to reach a peak and then go back into a valley But that's just based on historical trends you know it seems like every 15 to 20 years it kind of like goes up then it kind of gets a you know reaches a fallow period then it kind of goes back up again uh so you know I think we're kind of probably on an upswing right now um but you know i'm hopeful maybe we won't have as low of a valley as what we've had in the past because um you know generally speaking i would say there's probably more readers now than there's ever been with you know the people reading like youth graphic novels uh, manga and even the web comics um there's more readers out there than ever before and know it's not necessarily always it's not just in like you know the people going to comic shops every day it's it's much broader than that it's a lot of different type of stuff so when you look at it you know it kind of depends on how you factor in the in your categories but like I'd say right now it seems like it's the biggest it's ever been and hopefully it'll stay that way. But you know I still think historically speaking there's probably going to be a a bit of a dip, but hopefully it won't be that bad
0: whenever it does arrive. And we see things like crypto play a massive uh, part in the art community now there are arguments of like is this good is this something that's actually going to be change the industry and be helpful what are your thoughts and what have you seen with crypto and nfts and how that might affect uh, the comic industry
1: i don't know it's going to have a major impact just yet you know it's still too new of a technology for you know to, to be able to determine exactly what its impact is going to be and how it's going to shake out and whether or not it's going to be broadly adopted um You know, right now there's a lot of issues of, I mean, blatant copyright infringement uh, where people are, you know, minting NFTs of things they don't own, which is a copyright infringement. Like if if I don't own the rights to that work, I can't make an NFT of it. So that tarnishes the industry, uh, which is not a good look. You know, I've always, I've found it interesting from a perspective of, is is it a way where people who've operated primarily as digital artists, is that finally going to be a way where they can get value for their work? Potentially, um, you know, one of the issues that's always plagued uh, digital goods is, um, you know, it's not really a way to like sell it. You know, it's like I have the file. Do I own the file? I don't know. Like if it's an NFT should like, well, I actually own this file, then I can actually transfer this file. Um, it's been an issue since, you know, the early days of, no, not since the early days, but for the last like 20 years, people have been trying to figure out ways to, Create a market for digital goods, and you know this is one way you, where you could possibly do it. Where it's like you know you're, you're trading this item, saying that I own this, this this digital good, and I can sell this digital good without you know an infringement because you know if I were to take, uh you know someone sends me um I don't know, a, a, a digital artwork on my computer, and I have a JPEG. And I have it on my computer. And you know what can I do with this thing? I can show it on my computer. Okay. But without permission, I can't sell it to someone else because then I've committed copyright infringement. Because if I have this file and I sell it to someone else, I'm creating another copy somewhere. And the, so far, the courts have viewed that as being creating another copy of the work, which is a copyright infringement. So uh, you know, I can't do that. But if I have an NFT stating that I own this thing and I have the right to resell it, that is a way where I can finally unlock value in a digital space. So I find it interesting from that perspective. And if it becomes, you know, broadly adopted in a way where people have, you know, if it can get some legitimacy um, people aren't, you know, if people actually view it as a a method of actually um, acknowledging ownership of digital goods, it it could be a very good thing, especially for people who create digital artwork these days and aren't making stuff on paper.
0: What's the thing stopping from crypto being a, a more meaningful part of writer's compensation. Do you think it's just the adoption and the technology needs to get better over time?
1: What I've seen has been a few things that people object to in the NFT space. One, which is the environmental concerns, um, which, you know, appear to be real. I don't really have enough knowledge of my own to be able to adequately address it. But, you know, if you think that, you know, cryptocurrency and, and NFTs and the, and the like are just horrible for the environment, you don't want to be involved with them. You know, that, that's, that's your opinion. That's fine. Um, they might be. Uh, I do think that from what I've heard is the technology can get better and there's probably ways to do it where it has minimal um, environmental impact. So that's, you know, one thing that needs to be addressed. Uh, the other is just generally, you know, it, it needs to have, you know, mature a little bit, either in the eyes of, you know, in the eyes of you know the users and the other people who view it, you know, is it actually going to be a space where people are respecting intellectual property um, is one thing. A lot of people are opposed to it because they're just, you know, there are just people just trying to make NFTs of anything and they don't have the rights to it. And it just looks bad on everyone involved. And then finally, it's just, you know, people think it's, you know, is it a scam or not? Uh, you know, obviously when you see some of the monetary amounts being paid for these things, it it it's like, wow, how, how can that be sustainable? Um, so, you know, is, is it going to normalize? Is it actually going to be something legitimate? Um, you know, it needs to make sure that there's, you know, actual respect for the creators who are being involved. And then it also needs to make sure that it's legitimate as, you know, not fraudulent, Um, which, you know, some people have concerns that it's, you know, money laundering or just fraudulent, Uh, uh, you know, everything in there is fraudulent (laughs) in that, that way. So I don't know. I don't have all the answers for that. I, I find it more fascinating from the legal perspective. Like I was saying, is an actual, it's a create an actual marketplace for digital goods, but there are a lot of issues that don't have to be addressed uh, before it probably gets broader ad- adoption.
0: And is there anything in general that you would want to see in the future of the comic industry? It doesn't necessarily have to be things that you think will even happen in the next five years, but things that you would like to see. <laughs>
1: Oh, I would love to see creators better compensated, you know, uh, actually getting paid better for the work they do, more respect for the work that they do. And, you know, even with like the media stuff I was talking about earlier, just making sure that they, they, get, they get to go along for the ride. Um, You know, too often it feels like, you know, I'll see, you know, a adaptation of a comic book and, you know, the. The show will have like, oh, executive produced by the publishers of the comic book company and all publishers names all over it. And then at the very end, there might be like in the role credits like, oh, based on a comic book by these two people. And it's just like, this is their idea. This was their creation. Their name should be all over it. And that type of respect, I I would really love to see that come more to the fore of actually respecting the, the, the team that actually creates the work that's being adapted.
0: Yeah, I think that's something that a lot of people would love to see more of just respect and the credit due to the, the people who made the work originally. I, I'd I'd also love to move and talk a bit about what you do specifically for individual artists and any advice that you might have for people who might be considering, you know, getting your help. Uh, maybe we can just start by talking about what are the most common mistakes that you see artists make today? Well, the
1: easiest one not having someone look over your contract. Uh, it's pretty easy to do. Um, you know, I, I would always have some, if you're not comfortable doing it yourself, like have someone look over your contract, don't be afraid to ask questions. Um, you know, make sure you understand what you're agreeing to, what rights you're giving up, if any, uh, you know, I generally like to say, always have a contract in place. Um, There are times when not having a contract working can work into your benefit, but it's still best to have it than not. Um, So I would say, you know, make sure you have a contract. If you're working with a creator, let's just, you know, it it takes a little bit of time just to talk up front with, you know, whoever your team is and just make sure everyone's aligned and what, what you want to have happen.
0: And what are some of the biggest challenges that you see artists face today from a legal perspective?
1: Yeah, I mean, I would say, again, it's just getting squeezed on rights. Um, you know, giving up things that they are not that they didn't want to. Uh, you know, are you giving up, uh, you know, any say you might have in that, like, you know, how long, like, if you sign an agreement with a publisher, like, you know, how long is the agreement? What, when does it end? When can you get your rights back? Because there should be a time when you get rights back. I would never, like, you should not sign anything that just gives them the rights to it f- forever. You should be able to get it back at some point. Um, you know, make sure that, if there is media stuff involved, make sure you try to you know, get a say in it, you know, as best as you can, you know, do you have approvals over anything that might, you know, uh, come your way because, you know, you'd like to have a, some be able to weigh in on, you know, who's adapting your work and how much money they're paying to do it. So, you know, just, you know, things that might be, you know, try to make it fair, you know, read it. I was like, does this fair? Does it sound fair to me? Does it sound fair to you? Then if not, try to, make, try to make some changes. The worst they're going to say is no. I mean, very rarely will a publisher, if you ask for some changes, they might tell you no, but they're it's very rare that they would just tell you to like, no, we're not going to do a deal. I can't say it hasn't happened to me because it has <laughs> at least once. I've had a publisher do that to my client, but it, rare, it rarely happens. Usually they're going to
0: try to work with you
1: uh, to get a deal to happen.
0: Another thing that you talked about is the importance of co-creators using contacts. Do you mind going a little bit deeper as to how two artists who are working together should think about using a contract?
1: Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, um, you know, splitting, you know, coming up in the beginning, you know, getting it on paper of, you know, who's being paid, what, you know, is it a straight 50, 50 split? Are you doing something different? Does the artist get more money than the writer at first? Um, Then it normalizes, you know, or equalizes somewhere down the road. Like a lot of ways you can structure the payments, Um, you know, how's, how about ownership like who's going to own this thing is it 100 percent owned by the writer is it 50 50 between the writer and artist uh do the colorists letterers or anybody else have any uh you know say in it if, if there are others um that should be addressed as well i usually like to have um you know who gets to make the say about you know accepting a publishing contract or doing media rights is it equal say is one person more say than the other what happens if you disagree Um, you know, those things should be involved. And then another one, which a lot of people don't consider is what if one of the people who creates this wants to walk away, um, you know, what if the, the writer gets sick of it and then the artist wants to bring someone else on or vice versa. What if the artist is like, no, I don't want to do this work anymore. You know, how, how is that going to be handled? Um, you know, there should be a mechanism in that for that person to walk away. And the other person, uh, you know, is, is if that person's walk away, is the whole thing dead or can the writer continue You know, you should try to address that as well, just in case. Because it does happen.
0: In terms of what a writer could get back, I'd love to just understand the benefits that you've seen a writer get or a artist get when they work with a lawyer. How have you kind of materially helped uh, different artists? Like, I guess to give you an example, maybe there was, you know, one, uh, you know, example of a client who wanted to, or a publisher that wanted to buy 20% of a, uh, of an artist's IP for two hundred thousand dollars, and you were able to like increase that significantly. I'm just curious what the before and after effects are of getting a lawyer to help you out in in some of these negotiations.
1: Oh man, I wish I uh, wish publishers were throwing two hundred thousand dollars deals in my hands. <laughs> I would say honestly, it's it's helping make a deal fair most of the time. Um. You know, it's some of that stuff I've talked about. Where, I mean, the money is the money. Um, sometimes you might be able to like tick up some um, an advance if there is one. Sometimes you might be able to get you know uh, a slight change in the royalties. Um, but really, it, it's negotiating the risks and you know what rights are being given up. So, it's you know pointing out these things that could trip up a, a artist or writer that they might not be aware of. You know, is is this a you know, is there language in there that, you know, you give them this work and then you have to, you know, present your next work to them for the same money. Like, I don't like those deals. I'm going to try to get that out. It's like, you know, this deal is for this deal only. If we want to work here in the future, that's a separate deal. The right stuff is, you know, how much, what are we giving up? Like, how long does this thing last? Um, a lot of publishers don't usually come out a lot of the times with, uh, you know, reversion rights in their agreements. So you want to make sure those are in there. So. You know, if, you know, the publisher, you know, goes out, out of business, I get my rights back. If the publisher stops publishing my work, I get my rights back. Uh, that sort of thing. Or if it's, you know, minute, limited series, maybe last, you know, X amount of years after the series concludes, just something where it, it, it ends. Um, those all aren't always clear. Uh, and, oh, go ahead.
0: And when should a young artist reach out to get a lawyer's thoughts or see if a lawyer makes sense?
1: Usually, it's around the time you get a, uh, an offer, um, either an offer from a publisher or a contract in hand. Um, if you're thinking about it, you know, just let them know that like, oh, yeah, you're going to have your, your lawyer review it. Um, and then reach out to you know, an, an attorney who works in this space um, you know, if you can find one. Uh, if cost is a concern, there's a lot of volunteer organizations that'll you know, set you up with some attorneys. Uh, and there's like volunteer lawyers for the arts in a lot of uh, uh, cities and states around the country. Um, I work with one out of Chicago occasionally called Lawyers for the Creative Arts. So, you know, it's, it's, if you actually are challenged for money, uh, you know, you can get with one of those people and they can look at it and, you know, put you in touch with an attorney who's willing to work pro bono through the organization.
0: Did not know about that. And we can take a look and uh, put any links that might be helpful. Uh, is there a national organization or uh, is it run by state usually? You know,
1: it is it, not like a national organization that we aware of, like, volunteer lawyers for the arts is sort of national they have a lot of chapters around there but it can vary by state so um you know i I i'd list a few if you can find them online uh i don't i think california might have like a few different ones um but i don't know it off the top of my head unfortunately
0: sorry and do you have any general advice for young artists or creators
1: you know, don't be afraid to go it alone. Sometimes, um, especially like for your audience in in the uh, uh, you know web comic space, it's so easy to do it these days. Especially if you have artistic talent. Like, if I had artistic talent and I wanted to do this, man, I would be all over those web- <laughs> doing something on the web. Like, I've even thought about it. I don't even have artistic talent. I thought about doing because the bar to entry is so low, and then it's so easy to just you know get something out there. Get going. If you want to have a book, hey, guess what? After a year, collect that stuff in a book. See what your audience looks like. See what you know where, where it's getting you. Then you all of a sudden you have a book you can, you know, show people. Um it's so easy to do that you know, if you think you might want to do it, just dive in and, and try to build an audience.
0: And to close things out, we will move on to our rapid fire round. Are you ready? Yeah. So which fictional character best describes your personality?
1: Oh man, you know, Superman has always been one of my favorites, but it's, it's gotta be probably Clark Kent. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I think even in my law school application, when I, I I mentioned, you know, uh, I think I actually made reference to Superman and Clark Kent, in my, my, uh, uh, law school application. So like, like Clark Kent's been one for me, even though he's more of a journalist than a, than a lawyer these days, but, uh, you know, it, it's still Clark Kent for me.
0: I love it. And what three comics or fictional piece of work would you take with you on a desert island? Ooh. um, Man, that's tough. There's so many good
1: ones out there. Like, you know... Off the top of my head, I'd probably want to collect, you know... uh, No, let, me, let me think about that. Let's come back to that
0: one. Sorry. Yeah, we can come back. Definitely. If you could have a uh, dinner with any creator of a comic book or fictional work, who would it be and why?
1: I mean, honestly, I would still love to meet Jack Kirby. He passed away before like I ever had a chance to uh, uh, meet with him. So if it's dead or alive, you know, it, it'd be Jack Kirby just because of the impact he had on the comic book industry and the stuff he helped
0: create. What's your favorite scene from any comic that you've read uh, in, in your life, or the, when you think about a comic scene, what pops into your mind?
1: You know, right now, the one that pops into my head is just like, it, probably because it's a little more recent, of a recent vintage that I just found really funny. Uh, was, and I don't even read that much Batman, but I happened to pick up one of uh, Tom King's issues when he was leading up to like the, 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 Batman, Catwoman wedding. And there was a scene where they were on a double date with uh, Clark Kent and Lois Lane. And then they end up like dressing as each other's alter egos. And it just cracked me up the whole sequence, like at a fair. And everything about that just cracked me up. And it's been one of my favorite scenes in probably last like five years in a comic. Um, but there's so many other good ones that uh, I feel bad picking one from DC. But for some reason, that one just always pops into my head as just being an amusing scene.
0: I need to go check that out. Um, and then finally, if you could have dinner with a fictional character, who would it be?
1: Ooh, dinner with a fictional character. You know, I actually may have to go She Hulk. That could be interesting. At least, like, lo- lawyer style She Hulk. That could be kind of fun. <laughs>
0: yeah, that could be great. Well, Dirk, thank you so much for uh, taking some time. And thanks for just doing what you do and helping comic artists understand you know, how they can get a fair deal. I know, I'm I'm sure a bunch of the clients that have worked with you have found it really helpful. And uh, I hope our listeners uh, are, uh, you know, encouraged to reach out and and get the help that they need uh, as they enter contract negotiations or anything like that. But thank you so much for being a guest on the show.
1: Great, thanks for having me.
0: Thank you for joining us today. If you have any feedback or want to be featured as our next guest, please write to us at pixelsandpanelspod at gmail.com. If you enjoyed the show, don't forget to subscribe, like, or give us a five-star rating. See you all next week.